Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Maz and you're listening to episode two of the Balanced Natural Health podcast, where we discuss East, West and all the best in natural health. Right now is such an exciting time in health and wellness because increasingly we are seeing that the time-tested science and health technologies of the East are being confirmed in the modern biochemical research of the West. As a doctor of Chinese medicine, a herbalist, an acupuncturist and a long-time yogi, I've had the very good fortune to be exposed to some of the health science and ideas of the East. At the same time, I come from a family of Western scientists, and as a scientist myself, I love nerding out on the latest science and research from the West. To my mind, both ways of looking at the body share much in common, they just use different languages to describe the same things. They say knowledge is power, and so this podcast aims to bring you the best of East and West to help you empower your health. Today's episode was inspired by the various patients who come to see me with symptoms such as painful periods, heavy bleeding, irregular cycles, um, with growths such as cysts, fibroids and endometriosis, and also those patients who come to see me with imbalanced hormones, so whether that's estrogen or say low testosterone and so on. So because Chinese medicine is a functional medicine and it views symptoms as the body's cry for help, so it views the symptoms as the body's message about what is out of balance. Now because it does so, it seeks out the root cause of the imbalance so that this can be corrected rather than just masking the cry for help or dialing down its volume. And all this means is that the acupuncture and the Chinese herbal medicine that I give for my patients with the symptoms I just mentioned is highly personalized. So it differs greatly from person to person. But what doesn't differ is that the lifestyle and dietary tweaks that I recommend as supportive or adjunct therapies are very often common to all of the patients who come to see me for help with these symptoms. And this is because in situations where there are changes to the menstrual cycle or where there is an overgrowth of tissue as in cysts or fibroids or the growth of tissue outside its uh, physiologically designated area as in endometriosis or when there's situations of various hormone imbalance. Very often in these situations there is an underlying foundation of inflammation and or of excess estrogen that underpins this. So therefore any lifestyle adjustments are going to aim to reduce inflammation and or rebalance the hormones as required. So before we go into these natural health hacks for happy healthy hormones, let's briefly talk about sex hormones. All humans produce in varying amounts estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. Now there are various subtypes of each of these hormones but for the purposes of this discussion we'll just stick to the, the three main types, overarching types. So these hormones, estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, they affect not only our sexual health and reproductive health and the development of secondary sexual characteristics such as the growth of breast or the deepening of the voice but they also have wide-ranging effects on the body beyond the reproductive system. 
And this is because we know now in modern medicine and also Chinese medicine has been talking about this for millennia, that all of the body's systems are integrated and they're in a constant interplay of communication with each other. So therefore the balance and health of our sexual hormones is going to have knock-on effects throughout the body. So the hormones mostly involved in the menstrual cycle are estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen governs the first half of the cycle and it prompts ovulation or leads up to ovulation and the release of mucus, uh, the growth of breasts and uterine lining, whereas progesterone is released midway throughout the cycle or roughly midway at ovulation and it helps to regulate the cycle. So it's important to prepare the uterus in pregnancy, but it is also important for the production of testosterone in people assigned male at birth. So it's important for everyone. And I love the shorthand that Chinese medicine terminology offers us when we talk about sex hormones. It's really beautiful because it enables us to talk about the many complex biological pathways and all the different interactions that are going on in the body. It enables us to talk about that in a a simple way that's accessible to all of us. So all of us, regardless of our gender, are a mix of yin and yang. Yin and yang are complementary opposites and they're in dynamic balance with each other. So from a biomedical or Western medicine perspective, we'd see this as the state of homeostasis or the body's ability to return to balance in a dynamic way. So in response to to all the ups and downs and events of life. Yin and yang are complementary opposites and each contain at least a seed of the other. There is no 100% yin or 100% yang in nature, as the very interplay of the two is what creates life. And we can see a visual representation of this in the yin and yang symbol. So we see that one half of the circle is yin, one half is yang, but each contains a seed of the other, and each is constantly changing into the other as well. So we see that flow or that cycle of life happening visually represented. Now, when we look at the root of the Chinese words for yin and yang, and when we look at the Chinese characters for them, we see that yin describes a shady or shadowy part of the mountain or the northern side of the mountain because it's stemming from the northern hemisphere, whereas the yang character describes the sunny side of the mountain or the southern side of the mountain. And in general, we see more activity in nature during the day, while nighttime is a time of rest and renewal. So in biology, this translates as yin describing the more material, dense and dark aspects of our biology. So the more solid aspects like body tissues, body fluids, bones, flesh, and so on. While yang is the dynamic, functional, active aspect. So when we think about things in this way, low yang might manifest as low function in a particular area. So it might be hypothyroidism or depression or fatigue, while excess yang might present as a hyperfunction in a particular area or body system, such as in hyperthyroid or manic behavior or an inability to wind down. Excess yin is an excess of substance. So in Chinese medicine, we see a relative yin excess in cases where there might be, say, fluid accumulation, swelling, 
and in an overgrowth of tissue as in excess flesh or lumps like fibrocystic breasts and tumours. Yin is associated with the traditionally feminine qualities and yang is associated with the masculine qualities. And when it comes to sex hormones, we view estrogen as more yin in relation to the yang of progesterone. And this is because estrogen encourages growth and the proliferation of substance. So it encourages more material density. And we see um, estrogen as being essential to fertile mucus and breast growth, and it leads to ovulation. And also excess estrogen can manifest as weight gain around the abdomen and hips. Whereas progesterone is more concerned with boosting function, so that's more of a yang aspect. And we can see a very clear visual representation of this yin and yang relationship between estrogen and progesterone when we look at a BBT chart or basal body temperature chart. So for anyone who's ever tracked their temperature for throughout the duration of their cycle, generally we'll see that there is a fluctuation in the basal body temperature from day to day and throughout that time. So the first half of the cycle is governed by estrogen and generally has a lower body temperature. And because yin talks about the shady side of the mountain and it's dense and dark, yin is associated with cold. Whereas the second half of the cycle, which is governed by yang, which is warm and dynamic and sunny, um, generally has an elevated temperature. And we have a boost of progesterone throughout this part of the cycle. And this is why optimizing progesterone levels is so important in fertility work, as the presence of yang is what allows for the spark of new life. And it's also important for us in balancing menstrual and hormonal health because progesterone keeps estrogen in check. So yin and yang are constantly balancing each other. And as we touched on at the beginning of this podcast, elevated estrogen is often underpinning many of the symptoms that we're talking about today. So why are estrogen levels so commonly elevated? And in fact, they're so commonly elevated that some people have talked about an estrogen epidemic that affects all of us. Now, there are many factors that contribute to elevated estrogen levels or excess estrogen levels. So we'll run through each of these in a little bit of detail. So the first one is quite an obvious one, and that is hormonal contraceptives because very often they flood the body with much higher than what is physiologically normal levels of these hormones, which then leads to a disruption to the healthy balance of hormone levels. Another factor that is so important to hormone health is gut health and the balance of gut bacteria or the microbiome. So in recent years, modern science has aligned with what Chinese medicine has been talking about for millennia, about gut health being the foundation of all of our health. So we're now learning just how important gut health is in the treatment or regulation of many common conditions. And it's just as important in the balancing of healthy hormones. So We've known about the microbiome, and that's the whole population of bacteria and microbes that live in and on our bodies, and they outnumber us roughly 10 to 1. So there's definitely more of them than us, and they can be helpful to us when we live synergistically with each other and when they're in balance. So in addition to the microbiome, there's also the astrobolome, which is the body of microbes or bacteria that help in the metabolism or processing of estrogen. 
So when the gut bacteria is healthy and our estrobilome is in order, then we can process excess estrogen and excrete it in order to maintain healthy hormone balance. So therefore, anything that we can do that will support gut health will also support hormone health. Another factor that can disrupt estrogen levels are xenoestrogens. So this just translates as foreign estrogens. And we see these in plastics and BPAs. So BPAs are in many packaged foods, in plastic bottles or anything that comes in plastic containers. This is why it's so important to use glass containers and not heat up foods in plastics as it can leach some of these BPAs into the food. Unfortunately, BPAs are also really prevalent in all of the register receipts that we have. So every time we touch those, we're also coming into contact with BPAs. So we can see just how rife these are in our modern life. In addition to xenoestrogens, we also have phytoestrogens. So phyto meaning plant. So these are estrogens present in plants and they're present in large amounts in soy. And when eaten traditionally or as part of a traditional diet, this isn't an issue because um, often, say in traditional Asian diets, a large proportion of that soy was fermented, which affects its digestibility and its effect on the body. So when we're talking about fermented soy, we're talking about foods such as miso paste, uh, soy sauce and tempeh, as opposed to unfermented soy products like soy milk and tofu. And in small amounts, this is not an issue to our bodies, but the problem is that soy is one of the largest commercial crops in the world, and it's so prevalent in any kind of packaged or processed food. So if you start looking at ingredients, you'll notice that very often there'll be soy flour listed or soy protein. Um, vegetable oil is very often hiding soybean oil. So it's not so much that soy is bad, but it's the amount of soy that we're eating or that we've been exposed to over the course of our lifetimes is just too excessive for our bodies to balance. Another factor is estrogens in the water supply. Now, some people claim that this is due to the widespread use of the contraceptive pill and hormonal contraceptive, contraceptives. But some other research that I read recently suggests that up to 70% of the estrogens that we find in the water supply is due to industrial waste and um, dairy and soy production. But whichever way you look at it, there are estrogens in the water supply at a higher level than what our bodies are physiologically designed to handle. So that is yet another contributing factor that's boosting our estrogen load. And speaking of load, there's also the factor of higher toxic load that most of us are subjected to. And this is as a consequence of living within modern society that has us surrounded by environmental pollutants, by packaged foods, by a daily rhythm and lifestyle that doesn't necessarily support movement and exposure to fresh air and sunlight that would then encourage excretion of toxins. Um, and it's also contributed to by a lot of the synthetic substances that surround us. So these are commonly called endocrine disruptors because they disrupt the endocrine system, which is the hormone system, and therefore they disrupt estrogen balance as well. 
And these are things that unfortunately are all around us. So there's phthalates and parabens. So phthalates are often found in synthetic fragrances. So when you walk down, say, the detergent aisle in the supermarket and you feel a bit queasy, you're being hit with a massive phthalate load. Um, parabens are found in many commercial skincare formulations. And because the skin is our largest organ of absorption, the stuff that we wash with and put on our skin every day is going to accumulate in our bodies and contribute to toxic load. Now, another major contributing factor is unfortunately stress. And this is something that has become so commonplace as a result of the pace of our modern life. But unfortunately, when we're stressed and when we're pumping out stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, our body will steal the common building blocks of hormones, um, which is called pregnenolone. So it'll steal pregnenolone in order to manufacture more adrenaline and cortisol in response to that stressful situation. But what that does is that it robs the body of the building blocks to make progesterone, which we need, as we learned, to balance estrogen. So we call this situation pregnenolone steal, which is why it's so important to manage stress not just from the pregnenolone perspective, but also because we're dealt a double whammy on the hormone front because the stress hormone cortisol will block our progesterone receptors as well. So again, reducing the efficacy of progesterone in the body. So as we've seen, the factors that contribute to elevated estrogen are factors that affect all of us, not just those with menstrual or reproductive system imbalances. And it's a concern for all of us because elevated estrogen has been shown to be linked with an increased incidence of autoimmune disease. It's been linked to certain cancers. It's been linked to thyroid disorders and to candida overgrowth. Now, understanding the different factors that can contribute to elevated estrogen gives us some clues on lifestyle medicine tweaks that we can make that will help us to rebalance excess estrogen levels. So one of the first and most important of these is looking after our gut health. And this is gonna have benefits for any symptoms that we're experiencing because as we're discovering, the gut health really underpins so much of our general health and has such an effect on um, our energy levels, our moods, our sleep, our hormone levels, and so on. So looking after the gut is essential. And I'll be going into much more detail in future episodes of this podcast on gut health and optimizing gut health and the unique Chinese medicine perspective on how to boost our digestion and assimilate nutrition and so on. So stay tuned for that. Another tweak that we can make to really support rebalancing of hormones is to reduce the toxic load on our bodies. So that's having a look at where in your daily life can you possibly uh, make choices that will support your health rather than overburden your body in an attempt to excrete all of those toxins. So these can be simple things like making sure that we're using glass or steel containers instead of plastics. So just throw out all your plastic containers. Um, definitely don't ever heat up um, food in plastic containers because as I mentioned earlier it leaches those xenoestrogens, those foreign estrogens into your food and then allows them into your body. Um, it's also maybe having a look at all of the different products that you have for body and personal care and throughout the home. So 
we can we're so fortunate now that we have natural and less disruptive products available even in supermarkets so we can get rid of those products that have synthetic fragrances which might be disrupting our hormones um, those that have parabens which we're absorbing and again disrupting our hormones so looking at the soap you use the detergents the deodorant any uh, beauty products that you use all of those can be cleaned up over time to really support your body towards greater health on that note as well we can move towards whole foods and preparing more of our foods from scratch so that we're less reliant on packaged foods that might have a preponderance of soy products and even hidden soy products that aren't labeled as such but also that have um, chemicals or other digestive disruptors that add to the toxic load so limiting processed foods if you can definitely opt for filtered water this is going to reduce the toxic load from the water supply and any estrogens that are already present in that water supply it also means where possible choosing organic foods or at the very least choosing foods that have been minimally sprayed with pesticides and other toxins and if choosing to go fully organic isn't currently an option you can choose produce from the clean 15 list so the clean 15 is produced by the environmental working group and it's updated yearly to reflect the 15 fruit and veg that are the least contaminated by common pesticides and in contrast to the clean 15 we've got the dirty dozen and they're the ones the fruit and veggies that are the most affected by pesticide use so the best to avoid if you're not going organic for those vegetables in addition to choosing cleaner veggies it's best to avoid meat that has been treated with hormones because this will be passed on to us and also choosing organic where possible uh, organic and grass-fed because this will change the fat profile of the animal and making it healthier for us while we're on the topic of food there's so many amazing foods that support the metabolism and the excretion of estrogen and the real superstars in this area are the leafy greens so these are the veggies like broccoli and kale and bok choy cauliflower brussels sprouts these guys are amazing at helping the body to excrete excess estrogen other superstars are onion and garlic these guys support the liver and the liver is our major organ of detox so these guys support the liver's function in excreting toxins so they'll be supporting excretion of estrogen with excretion it's also important to have regular elimination so making sure that you have enough veggies that provide fiber in your diet for um, for removal of that estrogen and for daily bowel movements is going to help in removal of those toxins too from a chinese medicine perspective because estrogen is yin we can balance yin by choosing foods that are more yang like warm and well-cooked foods that don't drain the body's yang reserves or the body's energy or the body's metabolic potential and we can balance estrogen by avoiding yin foods so yin foods are cold and dense and they'll encourage growth so these are foods like dairy and sugar and this is why we call ice cream triple yin death it's cold it's sweet it's dairy and it can damage the digestion so choosing foods that are more yang and more warming so this might be things like um, ginger and turmeric and certain spices um, which are full of antioxidants which explains how they work from a biomedical perspective so choosing those foods is going to help in excreting excess estrogen and maintaining a healthy gut balance 
Now, the final lifestyle tweak that I suggest to patients looking to balance their hormone health is managing stress. And very often this will be in the form of meditation. Meditation is amazing and so beneficial for literally every aspect of health to the point that the amazing functional doctor, Dr. Mark Hyman, recently said on a podcast that if meditation was sellable and patentable, every doctor would be prescribing it for every ill because it really is that amazing. It helps the body get out of its own way with healing. So it switches on those healing superpowers that I touched on in episode one. So meditation might be a way of managing stress. For other people, it might be movement, particularly rhythmic movement that links moving with breath. So that might be walking or swimming, yoga, tai chi. Um, Because stress is characterized by being in that fight or flight mode or that sympathetic nervous system mode, any activity that encourages encourages us to switch over to rest and digest mode is going to foster that healing and that rebalancing. So anything that brings you joy or what Dr. Kelly Brogan refers to as signals of safety, which allow the nervous system to switch over. So this might be quality connection with a loved one. It might be deep breathing, particularly with the focus on the exhale, which encourages parasympathetic tone. It might be prioritizing activities that engender positive emotions like love and joy and happiness. It might be giving back to the community or it might be a hobby that gets you into the flow state, whether it's baking or crochet or cycling or whatever floats your boat. But we need to be making more time for fun and for stress management in our lives. And tucking in under that umbrella of managing stress is the importance of sleep. Now, it's very important for hormone balance to get adequate and restful sleep and sleep at the right time as well. Because our bodies follow circadian rhythms, so there's different peaks and release of different hormones at different times during the day, if we can aim to be asleep before 10 o'clock, we can get into a deeper sleep than if we um, stay awake beyond that time and catch our second wind. And then often we have trouble falling into a deep and restorative sleep. So good sleep is important for stress management and also for regulating hormones and managing inflammation. So we'll be getting more into inflammation and its impact on hormones and menstrual and reproductive health next week. This week, we've looked at the effect of estrogen and the many lifestyle factors that contribute to elevated estrogen, but also the simple lifestyle tweaks that we can make to support our bodies in rebalancing hormones and regaining more optimal health. So as always, if you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website at balancedacupuncture.com.au. I'm also on Instagram at balancedacupuncture, one word, and Facebook at balancedbrisbane, one word. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to get notified when the next episode is up. So we'll be continuing this topic of happy hormones in episode three of the Balanced Natural Health podcast. So feel free to subscribe, share the love with others who you think might be interested and would love it if you rate or leave a review on iTunes. 
And just a note too, as I've mentioned in the past, Chinese medicine is an individualized medicine where we work closely one-on-one -on -one to find the best solution for the individual. And in light of that, this podcast is intended for informational purposes only. It isn't intended to diagnose or replace any existing medical advice. So if you'd like to find out more, get in touch with me or your health practitioner. Thanks so much for listening and wishing you a beautiful day and the very best of health.